Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I'm your host, uh, Professor Kayla McGee, joined with my fellow co-hosts, uh, former Congressman Ross. Good morning. We made it. Yes, we, we made, made it. it to Lincoln. We got through the the Buchanans and the Pierces and the yes, Millard Fillmores. Yes. The 20 years. Oh, my goodness. And we are now at one of, arguably, one of the greatest U.S. presidents it's ever been. I think um, the greatest. I agree. Across the surveys, typically Washington and Lincoln jockey back and forth I, I agree. for the first position. And uh, in more recent times, Lincoln seems to capture that first position a little more often. Um, and I believe it's, it's very rightfully earned. Yes, involuntarily earned. I yes. don't think he. I, I, I don't think he ever anticipated that it would come to the no the, the separation or the secession that that happened with the South. Well, in many ways, he's the American dream. He comes from nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, I, I believe his his first cabin, the temporary dwelling that he lived in with his family, was a sixteen by eighteen yeah. log cabin with a dirt floor. Yeah, and his mother died when when he was nine Age years old. Nine, yeah, yeah, and that really hit him hard. Mm-hmm. And she was a very religious woman. She his, was, and very literate. And his father yes. was not either. And he True. he really um, he didn't he didn't have a good relationship with his father. No, but his stepmother he did. Yes, and he called what he called her the angel mother. Yes, yes, and 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 and, and really, I think inspired him. She cultivated that love of reading. Yeah, in him. He said that uh, he had his education by the littles, little by little here, little there, and uh, you know the, I guess they had a family Bible, which yes. was the only book they owned, and he read that voraciously, and then he would walk miles to get other books, which yes. was, you know, that that is an amazing thing, and and there are characteristics of Abraham Lincoln that I think need to stand out, and and um, and we'll talk about you know his life uh, here, but I think it's important to understand that. One, he was very self-assured. Yes. He, he he didn't care where he came from. He just knew who he was and how he could become better, mm-hmm. which is why he was self-taught. He became an incredible lawyer, Yes, uh, very well-respected, uh, and very, very good as a lawyer. He was incredibly persistent, which I think is a quality that a lot of people just give up on because once they face adversity and don't succeed, they just quit. Mm-hmm. He didn't quit. He lost elections. He just, you know, he but he stayed in there. And he believed because he was self-assured, he was very persistent. I think he was very humble. Yes. I think he was a very humble man. Uh, and he had a great sense of humor, which I think really distinguished him and probably came about as one of the most necessary elements to endure mm. the Civil War. Mm. And, you know, his humor is that there was, well, there was a story I, I, I remember reading where he was approached by this man who handed him a pocket knife and he said, what's this for? And he said, sir, I was awarded this as the ugliest man and told to keep it until I found somebody more <laughs> uglier than I, and that is you. You know? I love, yeah. So he's the tallest president we've ever had. Um, anywhere from six four to six six, it's it's contested yeah. how tall he was. But he was very gangly, um, and he was, he was yeah. I mean, he was he's been described everywhere from homely to just downright ugly. Yeah. And because you made this statement, he talked about the fact that the way he dealt with this is through basically self deprecating humor, right? Like he would it's amazing. He at would it. use humor to kind of subdue things. He had done this as he was young, and he becomes a master of it. And Yes, and in fact, Stephen Douglas accused him one yes. time of being two-faced, and he said, if I had another face, do you think I'd be wearing this one? You know, I mean, he was, he would just, he would diffuse a, a, a very tense situation with humor, which is an element that is so necessary that we don't see no. being practiced by today's politicians no. and leaders. And, no. and self-deprecating humor uh, is probably one of the most effective, but it also shows, I think, a sense of, of, of more 
intelligence because you, are, you, you, you can do that. So I, I, I think it shows also, as you should, the, the two things you were talking about, it shows both law that you're self-confident, but also that you're humble. If you yes. can use it, you have, you have a good combination of both, yeah. right? Um, so he was known for being very, very strong, though. One of his first jobs is he's a rail splitter. Yeah. So he's known for his skill with an axe and cutting trees down, splitting them. And he does this like day in and day out. He'll walk miles at a time. So he was known for this just ridiculously strong, powerful backwoodsman. And the Republican Party uses this to their advantage. At, at one point right. when he's running, they actually have like wood that he supposedly split when he was young. And it's got like American flags hanging on. They, they carry it around to the, the, the stump speeches, basically. <laughs> and one of the reasons why is it's, it's a male-only uh, voting party, Correct. right? Um, we think about nicknames like Honest Abe. That wasn't that popular. Nobody's mm-hmm. like, oh, let me go vote for Honest Abe. So they called him the rail-splitting candidate. Yeah. And, it, I mean, all these backwoods, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, if he's the one working the axe, he's, well, that's the guy we want. So I think there's something to be said of that idea of, of campaigning towards your demographic. It was said of Teddy Roosevelt, that every time people from the West or from the South would come, that he would stack hay in his, his barn to, for the press to see, and that one day they sent him in too fast, and he hadn't restacked his hay so he could stack it again, <laughs> right? So there's, there's I something I, I know there's something to that idea of, of, of appearing that powerful, Absolutely. strong uh, voting base, and I think we haven't really seen that in the last couple of elections, and maybe that's why we see the pushing of the of the, of the, of the age, maybe, or the physical True. health of the president. True. Uh, at this time period, America's rough and tumble, and in order for our political leaders they want them to represent who we are. And Lincoln was that that ideal backwoodsman, rail-splitting type president, and he played it up. He played it up very well. And, and you know, he um, – uh, it was interesting. I, I think when he was elected as president and, and you had um, – oh, uh, Breckinridge, who was the vice president, and I forget another candidate that was that was out there that was going to – and he was he, – he instructed his Republican followers. He says, look, I'm not going to make any stump speeches. We're going to go out there and we're going to be – we're going to coalesce about what we all agree on, and please don't talk about anything that we disagree on. That's good. And that was that 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 emboldened the Republican Party. It made them coalesce around him, and he wins the electoral college. You know, imagine that today. If there's so much dissension in each party, that if they would just focus on what they have in common and resolve their differences later. A, Political party could be incredibly yes. strong, incredibly effective, yes. and pass incredible legislation dealing with policy that's probably necessary that's being avoided today. Yeah, it was said that when he, in his first uh, term specifically, that he actually intentionally uh, gathered Republicans from both the, ex- the extreme, like the extreme abolitionists and yes. the moderates and the more, if we can use the term liberal, in his cabinet because he wanted a diverse representation of the party so that he felt like the whole party was had him. full representation. And I thought, how interesting— and when was the last president we had that really did that? I mean, I, I'm trying to think of modern day times of a president that honestly wanted a diverse cabinet. Yeah, I don't think that's that. I, no, I think they, a lot of them just want to yes people. Agreed. And that's not healthy. It's no, not good. No. Also, we talk about Lincoln and his kind of uh, diehard personality. A lot of my students even will get confused when I ask about presidents who didn't serve in the military. And they'll always say, Lincoln, Lincoln served in the Black oh, Hawk War. Oh, he served, yes. Yes. Yes, and did what? He, he makes it all the way up to the rank of captain, But actually. does he ever see combat? No, he does not. <laughs> However, his men highly respect him. The story is told 
that when he is there, because of course the Black Hawk War, I know a lot of our listeners aren't familiar, so Google that, um, you know, read a book. But if you don't know the Black Hawk War, basically what t- happens is this is all fought over uh, Chief Black Hawk, his ability to bring his tribe back across territory that was promised least to them for corn, and then later settlers came in. Long story. Um, so as Lincoln is, is the captain of, of this of this regime, of this, of this militia, uh, an old Native American from uh, Chief Black Hawk's group wanders into the camp. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln's men want to kill the guy. And Lincoln is the captain. And I love this story. The story is told of him that he doesn't pull rank and command his men. He pulls off his outer coat and his hat. And he said, I'm a man and you're a man. Fight me for the right to kill him if you want to. Wow. And no one challenged him. Wow. I That's love leadership. That. That's I leadership. Love that. That's he leadership. He doesn't hide behind his title. He doesn't hide behind his rank. He doesn't pull rank. He pulls the jacket off and he's like, all right, who can take me? And then you can go after him, but you have to come through me first. And they so respected him. They talked about the fact that basically as he steps in that position, that they, they said that he was their favorite officer they ever served under was Captain amazing? Lincoln. And in that Black Hawk War, though, the, just the fate of history, interesting enough, uh, Jefferson Davis fights right. the same side as Lincoln. Right. Which how ironic, which later later Lincoln will talk about Jefferson Davis and calls him Jeff. And he talks about the fact that when the Confederacy falls, he wants Jeff to be treated graciously. And maybe the reason why is because he had been a fellow uh, combatant in arms That's with true. him at That's one true. time. And but you know but and, and I know we're jumping forward here but but after the Civil War, he really brought them back the Southerners back into the fold. Yes. He did not want retribution. He no, did not he wanted to be able to rebuild the nation. He never wanted them to leave any. He no. never wanted that. No. And it's interesting because he wasn't necessary. He wasn't an abolitionist. In fact, Mm-mm, not at first. It, it, no, at him, all. him and Stephen Douglas were kind of aligned. It's just that Stephen Douglas says essentially that the Constitution protects slavery, mm-hmm. and, and and Lincoln's like, no, it doesn't, no, mm-hmm. it doesn't, and and then Stephen Douglas, which gets Lincoln back into politics, uh, is Stephen Douglas starts supporting the um, the Kansas Nebraska Act, That's right. which would allow for the states to determine their own uh, right to slavery, and he says that we can't have this, so he gets back in it, and that's what starts the famous Lincoln Douglas debates yes, for the U.S. Right. Senate in, in Illinois, mm-hmm. um, where he which Lincoln loses, he loses, but, <laughs> but he, he catches the national attention in the process of losing. Yes, you know, the, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand, that's which right. is biblical. And it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's, I always have seen like, I love that Lincoln said that. I'm like, well, you know, Jesus said it about 1,500 years before that. But nonetheless, it's good, right? Yes, exactly. Anytime you, anytime you can quote from Jesus, it's good. Exactly. But, you know, Jesus said this first. But, and again, and then he, he takes all these speeches and in 1860 creates a book. Mm-hmm. That they were part of a biography, which helps launch his campaign for president. And I know, like you said, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I do love the fact that when the Civil War ends, uh, I believe one of the terms he used to grant was let them up easy. Yeah. And I like that. It's, and if you, if you never like wrestle, play sports, the idea of when you get up, you can put an elbow in someone's gut, you can put a knee on them, but, or you can help them, you can let them up easy. Yeah. And here is, here is Lincoln, and he's like, you know, we have decimated the South, now, now, now let them up easy. And I thought a lot about that, and that, that really hit home when I did uh, some of my, my personal family genealogy. So my third great-grandfather fought in the Civil War on the Confederate side. No kidding. So obviously it's not something that you're, that you're proud of. They were fighting on the wrong side. But if they had been retributive in the action of hanging every individual who yeah. fought there, my line would have been cut off. That's true. That's my third great-grandfather. And when he, he's actually captured uh, in 1863 um, around Tennessee as they're fighting up in Missionary Ridge. Yeah. He's captured up there. Um, so he'll be disbanded. Eventually, he's held prisoner. We lose the records. In 1865, as the whole, you know, every yeah. regiment is, is let go, is mustered out. He's mustered out. Comes back to Florida. Um, he meets a woman named Dolly. They get married. They have a daughter, and their daughter meets a McGee. 
Wow. And they have a son who's named Emery McGee, who my grandfather carries the namesake of, and then he has a son, which was my grandfather. Amazing. And had his name is Noel, Noanne Tomlinson. Had Noanne Tomlinson been cut off, my entire line would have been gone. Just think of that, though. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, as president, could easily have done yeah. that, has sought Absolutely. retribution against all these, the, the, the soldiers and officers of the Confederacy. And I wouldn't be sitting here today. You're right. You'd be doing this podcast alone. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very short, then. It would be very short. But yeah, and that, that's just an amazing thing to stop and think about, though, that one decision, and by the way, the, the, the Army commander who captures that unit that my was 1st Cavalry of Florida, the major commander that was Grant, and the man who was under him who was running that unit was Sherman. Wow. The two major movers and shakers, of course, yes. of, the, of the Union Army. Yeah, that, yeah so, that, that eventually yeah, won the one of them. Absolutely. So, again, it, it, you may, it makes you stop and think that idea of let them up easy. Yes. Had they hung, and by the way, Grant is, is going to be so... Um, sensitive to this, that when he when he signs the the the, the tree in the, in, the, in the Appomattox courthouse with with Lee across the table, he actually allows men to keep their sidearms yes. and men with horses to ride home on their horses. And later he told Lincoln he wanted them to be able to return with some sense of honor and be able to start planning and farming and go back to a normal life as quickly as possible. And Grant and Lincoln said it was their idea of winning the peace back in the South. And you wonder if Lincoln had not been assassinated, yeah. what the South would have looked like. First of all, I believe Lincoln would have, with, with dignity, um, ensured the rights of African-Americans, would have ensured the Emancipation Proclamation. You may have never had to have the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. It's true. Um, that was the mess that Johnson brought in. That's true. That's so, true. Yeah. There's just so many little—and again, we, we, we see God's providential hand moving behind all these and things. And he, he talks about that, that mm. he believes that he is— that his destiny is to be what what the, the providence of God. That's right. You know that he just hopes that he's doing what God wants him to that's do. That's right. And that's interesting from his perspective because for for what all he's been through, and, and a very well read man, um, you, you just can't. I can't imagine, especially the grief. You know, of losing his sons. Mm. Uh, 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 you know, uh, he had some issues with his wife. Um, a lot of issues yeah, with Mary Todd, and, and and just to be able to to endure that and to stay, and then right after the the um, the, the signing at Appomattox, the the he died. five days after, yeah, five days. He has weathered. I believe it was Grant who told at one point that he was aging ten years for every year during the Civil War. And if you look at pictures, you can see that like his face gets so gaunt, yes. and he's long and he's lean and he's graying and his beard's all patchy. And you can tell like he looks like he has been his his eyes start sinking in more. And he, uh, so Grant tells him, look, you're aging 10 years for every year that you're in office during this time period. Finally, the war is over. Finally, he's, he's bringing peace. Things are looking better. And five days later, the infamous bullet rings out. Mm-hmm. And it forever changes the nation. It does. And if you've ever been to Ford's Theater and visited that, mm-hmm. it's a very compelling uh, experience because it's pretty much the same. Yes. I mean, the, 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 it's all there. Uh, the the, uh, the the where he sat. Yes, everything is still there, and they still do productions there. Yes, um, it also was the birth of the Secret Service, I believe, That's uh, as correct. a result of that, because of the the lack of protection. That's correct. To, to, yes, yeah, so there is no Secret Service yet. Lincoln has a personal bodyguard. I don't know if you're familiar with the last name of Lemon. He's that. this giant dude. He's like six four. He would carry double forty fives on him. He carried a cane with a sword, and he carried something called a slung shot. And what that was was a piece of lead with a rope tied to the wrist. So that somebody got too close, they could sling it out quickly and knock someone out. And wow. this was Lemon, and he traveled with Lincoln. Lemon wasn't there on that day. It's one of the few days he wasn't with Lincoln. Oh, my. And Lemon would forever uh, blame himself that Lemon dies a drunkard not long after this because he just drinks himself into the grave. What a tragedy. Interestingly enough, 
when Lincoln wins the presidency, this is this is there's a, there's a story written on this. I think it's called the book's called The Pinks about the Pinkertons. When Lincoln wins the presidency, he's got to go from the Midwest to D.C. Now there's no Secret Service, right? There's no limos, there's no cars yet, obviously. So he chooses to go by rail. He goes public transport by rail. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, you're familiar with this? Yes, okay. Yes. He the newspapers publish his itinerary yes. of every stop he's going to yes. make. He's got death threats like crazy coming on him. So Lincoln hires a little Scottish guy by the name of Alan Pinkerton to be his personal security. Alan Pinkerton will use Lemon, his personal bodyguard, and he'll hire the first female detective by the name of Kate Warren. And the three of them together mount this operation to get Lincoln from the Midwest all the way to D.C. without being killed. Mm -hmm. And they do it successfully. And one of the things they do is they use disguise. And actually, Kate Warren will dress up as his nurse. He'll sit in a wheelchair because he's like 6'6", six, 6'4". Six, six, he's going to stand out like a sore thumb with like a blanket over him. They roll him on and off the train as like this little old guy. And it works flawlessly. Yeah. No one ever detects him. And they get him from the Midwest to D.C. And Alan Pinkerton makes such a name for himself that his detective agency, the Pinkertons, get hired on to work the major security of the railroads. Now, the Pinkertons go kind of sideways later in right, history. Right. But they become the preeminent private security force, which is also where the term private eye comes from, because their logo had an eye in the middle of it, and they're a private eye agency. I did not know that. So you have this entire little dynamic that unfolds as it runs the security of Lincoln. The Smithsonian keeps some of the death threats that were written against Lincoln. Lincoln had 80 at one time in his desk, and the death <laughs> threats were ridiculous. They sound like Saturday morning cartoons. I think the most outlandish one that the Smithsonian has was an individual threatened to kill Lincoln by baking him dumplings, and in the middle of the dumpling would be a poisonous spider. So that when Lincoln bit into this, the spider would bite him on the tongue and he would die. <laughs> uh, they had crazies back then, too. I, they huh? had crazies yeah. back then. Uh, like, who came up with this idea, <laughs> right? But Booth is not crazy. Well, he is, but he's very gifted he's extreme. In, in what he's going to do. He's very extreme. Man. As, as you well know, he's a famous actor. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's able to slip directly in the booth. Um, no yeah. one would have ever thought anything about this. As he is so radicalized and he goes in to kill Lincoln five days after the signing of the Appomattox Courthouse, he carries a 44 Derringer. Now, you shoot, you hunt, you know how right. big a 44 is. I cannot imagine taking a 44 to the head. Oh, yeah, it's over. It's a one shot. So he knows he's got one shot. He's got to get as close as he can. And he walks within uh, a few feet of Lincoln and he puts the bullet in the back of his head. Uh, medical scholars tell us it starts at the back, and actually you can almost see the indent in the forehead mm. as it traveled the whole way through his skull. He tries to flee the booth, and Lincoln has a major there from the Union Army with him. Now, here's where it gets kind of dicey. The major tries to stop Booth, and Booth, who's a Shakespearean actor, overpowers Lincoln's major. major. Had Lincoln lived, the first thing I'd want him to do is fire that major <laughs> who can be overpowered by a Shakespearean actor. Right. Come on. He overpowers him. He actually stabs the major on the way down. Jumps, I did not know that. Breaks his ankle. I knew that. You know this very well. Yeah. And then, of course, the story of Dr. Mudd. Uh, yep, yep. Who Dr. Samuel him? Mudd. He treats yep. him. And here's some Florida history. Once Samuel Mudd is convicted, he's sent actually to Florida to be arrested, and he's held in Dry Tortugas off of mm -hmm. Key West. If you've right. ever been to Dry Tortugas, oh, yeah. um, Fort Jefferson there, there's a little tiny cell with, with Dr. Mudd above it, and Dr. Samuel Mudd will be held in Florida, and he'll be held there, but he'll serve as a prison doctor during a yellow fever epidemic, and he lives through that, and he serves gallantry. So actually then Andrew Johnson will pardon Mudd, and Mudd flees Florida and goes back up north and tries to you know not get killed because everybody hates him. And that's, of course, where the slang, your name is Mudd, comes from. Ah, but, that's good to know. Yeah, that's good to but a little, little a random history there with, with Dr. Mudd. So the assassination of Lincoln, I know we're way ahead of ourselves now, um, was just a travesty that tore well, apart the nation. You know, getting back to his military service, it was interesting because his, his limited military service – 
did not interfere with his ability as commander-in-chief. In fact, he, uh, he, he was probably more astute to battlefield um, uh, logistics than some of his generals. You know, General Winfield Scott, I think, oh. was the first one, and he was very upset because, you know, Winfield Scott just was 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 just he wasn't pursuing. No, and and then, and then he had McKellen, then he, McKellen that he just could not stand fires him. So they thought um, Lincoln's revolving door of generals right. until, of course, Grant. And what a man Grant was. Yeah, he wins at Vicksburg, and and uh, and then he, he he promotes him all the way up. And it's interesting because McClellan then in '64 runs against Lincoln. <laughs> yes. You know. Yes, the ideal and loses opponent. by a landslide. Yes, I was going to say the ideal opponent. You yes. Know? Um, but getting also back to the Emancipation Proclamation, because I think that was something that, that Lincoln knew. And he, and he did it again. He issued it when? In September. Uh, and 1862. Saying, yeah, and this is going to take effect January 1. 1863. Therefore, it, if you all are, the, you know, in the South, if you'll just surrender and, and come back. You know, I won't issue this. Yes. I love it. <laughs> and I, one of my favorite statements there is where, uh, the second paragraph, where he said, Once it does take effect uh, that all people enslaved in the United States shall be free from thenceforth and forever be free. Yeah. And as you know, I mean, you're, you're a lawyer, so you know legalese much better than I do. Uh, language is everything in a document. And I love the fact that Lincoln not only says, are you free, but you cannot be re-enslaved. Right. And that was an important piece of legislation in the Emancipation well, it, Proclamation. It, it wasn't legislation. True. Thank you for bringing it, this it, out. And this is why the 13th Amendment yes. is so important. Yes. This is what we call, you know, a, a presidential proclamation. Yes. Which can, does not survive the presidency because no. the next president could say, ah, I'm rescinding the Emancipation Proclamation. So could we call this an executive order in today's time? Yes. Okay. So in today's time, we can call this an executive order. Exactly. Okay. And, 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 uh, but, and Lincoln knew that. And he used it as a tool to 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 give a an opportunity for the South to come back. Mm. And when they didn't, he also knew that the only way that he could get uh, slavery done forever uh, and, and was not so much by beating the South, but by making sure we had it in the Constitution. That's right. The thirteenth and fourteenth amendment. Because yes. the fourteenth is so important too that if you're born in America, you are actually a U.S. citizen now. Correct. Which went against the Dred Scott case of saying that African Americans were not U.S. citizens because and of their could race. Not be. Exactly, and could not be. So now the fourteenth amendment says, no matter what your race, creed, color, whatever, if you're born on American soil, you are an American citizen. And that was actually kind of mind blowing for the day, and it still is. It is. Think about a place like Iceland, where you have to have two parents of the same um, genetic standing actually in Iceland even become a, a citizen. citizen yeah. And here in America, like if you get what feet wet feet dry, yeah. if you get here and you yeah, have right. a child, that's an American citizen, <laughs> which I know is very controversial. Right. But it, it kind of carries out the American dream. We are a land of immigrants. And if you're born on this soil, you can be a U.S. citizen. Absolutely. According to the 14th Amendment, which yeah. was pushed heavily because of this. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, of course, the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the past after his death. But it... it you know, his martyrdom his, 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 his really transforms the United mm. States. It solidified his cause. It definitely solidifies his cause. And I, and I think he's well aware of that years before the assassination, mm. that it will probably take his death mm. in order to, to bring the nation back together. But if he can get us back together, uh, and he did, you know, we, he, he, again, I think he was a, a, a brilliant military strategist. Yes. Um, I think he was just a very thoughtful man <laughs> that looked at his options and just didn't give up. Again, his no. perseverance was amazing. No. And, and I, you know, his 
again, I got to go back to his humility. And one of his quotes that I, I really enjoy that I remember as a kid reading is, it was, you know, it is better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove any doubt. <laughs> yes, and you that. think about that and I think, my gosh, I have tried to practice that many times mm. because you want to say something, but you don't know what you're going to say and this and that. And, you know, it's just he he could master the situation through his own homespun um, stories based on his own experiences. Yes. And that's really what a good leader should do. Yeah. I remember I had a mentor one time that made the, uh, made the statement. I thought this was very profound. When, when you're in a meeting, do you say something because you think you need to say something, or do you say something because that actually needs to be said? Oh, trust me. Having been in the political world in both the legislature and Congress, I had many colleagues that loved to listen to themselves mm-hmm. speak and would not pass up an opportunity to do that. There comes a time when you have said enough, and now it's time to move on. That's good. Let somebody else say it. And and we, we get captured in those moments, and I think that the brevity really speaks more powerfully than those that get to be verbose. Agreed. You know, and and, and what better way to, to identify that than with the Gettysburg Address? Oh, one of my favorite, favorite Amazing. Of and all if you time. haven't been to the Lincoln Memorial, where it is inscribed on the wall there, you need to go there. And if you haven't been to Gettysburg, and I was just there uh, this year and uh, again did the tour, it, it's just absolutely amazing. Yes. To see what these soldiers on both sides endured and then going back there to, 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 um, uh, commemorate the battlefield. Here is Lincoln, who was not necessarily the featured speaker. No. In fact, I think the, the, the I forget who it was that spoke before him or, uh, you know, um, uh, lasted an hour and a half. And he gets up there and mm-hmm. says this speech, you know, starting off four score or seven years ago. And it has memorialized it. It, it brought everything together. Yeah. And that was brilliant. That yes. was brevity at its finest. Yes. Uh, in fact, it's only three paragraphs. Let me read this. And I love this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. By the way, I love that he's playing um, founder's intent here. Yes. This isn't my oh, idea. Yes. This is founder's intent, but that's I digress. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives their nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought there have thus nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that cause which they gave their last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. It's just brilliant. It's so powerfully written. There is not one word you could edit out of that. I don't have anything to add to this. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, 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 for those of us that are students of history, especially American history, mm. that just, it, it really crystallizes the essence of who we are as a people, as a nation, 
and under God. Yes. It's just amazing yes. to me. Yes. That, 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 that at the time, we just did 20 years of presidents leading up to that. And from it felt Andrew like 20 Jackson. years. Yes, and from Andrew Jackson to Lincoln. And had not Lincoln been there, mm. our nation would not have survived, in mm. my opinion. And, and, and you wonder, how, where do these leaders come from? That's good. How do we nurture them? Uh, how do we incentivize them? And will we see them again? There's a, there's a few takes I have on that because I, I, you opened so many doors I love. First of all, it reminds me of the Old Testament where um, Esther and God says, mm-hmm. uh, through Mordecai, for such a time as this. You've been brought to power for such a time as this. The other thing I thought about when you said, where are those leaders? He's in the backwoods in a cabin with an illiterate father and a dead mother. No one thought anything about him. Had people been looking for the deliverer, they'd been looking like in D.C. at the, uh, the, uh, the royal oh, yeah. lines. Oh, yeah. Who knows if there's not some kid in the backwoods of West Virginia? And we need to find him. We need to encourage him. We need to challenge him. Agreed. You know, that, and that's that's that 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 that's the essence of America. That's that's the American dream. Yeah. There might be some kid in the urban streets of Brooklyn. There might be some kid in the backwoods of West Virginia. Yeah. And all the experiences that they're going for, God is going to use and providentially raise them up at just the right time, at such a time as this. Yep. That was Lincoln. I agree with you. I mean, just what a what a powerful, powerful story. Now. Another interesting story, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, because this is a little-known story, but it's, it's a true story. Um, John Wilkes Booth has a brother named Edwin Booth. Edwin Booth was a much better actor than John Wilkes Booth, uh-huh. traveled through all of Europe, performed before kings and queens, and did not like the fact that John Wilkes was becoming more and more radicalized. Ah. After the assassination of Abraham Lincoln... Abraham Lincoln's little son, who's the only one who survived, Robert, mm-hmm. actually falls off the train tracks into a, a, a train terminal, and there's a, y- a young man that jumps down and snatches him up and sets him back on his feet and saves his life. It was Edwin Booth. I had no idea. It's John Wilkes Booth's brother. Edwin will actually receive a letter of commendation and gratitude from Ulysses S. Grant. Wow. For saving the president's son. Edwin would keep that letter with him in his jacket pocket throughout his life for one thing, for protection. If people ever wanted to kill him because what his brother would do, he'd pull that letter out and be like, listen, I saved the president's son. I'm not my brother. Edwin Booth, uh, historians say, would have gone down as the finest Shakespearean actor in history, but historians in the 19th century did not want to write about him because of what his brother had done. And the family reputation was ruined and little is ever known or talked about from Edward Booth. Wow. Guilt by association. History is an interesting thing. It is. It really is. It definitely is. And I, I like that you talked about his, his faith. So we, we have to talk about the faith uh, of Lincoln. Lincoln, sometimes I, I've heard oh, individuals yeah. criticize and say that he was a skeptic. He was an intelligent, inquisitive man, but he was a man of faith. You cannot no say that he was not a man of faith. Right? As you said, he cuts his teeth on reading the Bible and have massive passages of Scripture memorized. Yes. Um, he writes a letter to a woman named Eliza. And in this letter, he's talking about all that he went through throughout the Civil War. He said this, I am much indebted to the good Christian people of the country for their constant prayers and consolations. And to no one more than you yourself, the purpose of the Almighty mm-hmm. are perfect and must prevail, though we erring mortals may fail to actually read them correctly. I'm just going to read that. That's very good. I love that. I that's one of my favorites. Like yeah. the, the purposes of the Almighty are perfect, but we are erring mortals. Uh, yeah. We make mistakes, but we want to read what He's doing. Uh, I find that really powerful. He was a. Um, I, I think he again. He was self assured, and yes. I, I think he was so self assured that he understood that he, of his. He appreciated his mortality because mm. he understood his mortality. Yes. 
and and that it would ultimately lead to probably his death. Yes. Uh, but he was so convicted as to what he knew was right. I, again, he was a constitutionalist. Yes. Uh, he, he believed heavily. One of, the, one of the first books that he would read, I think, was on George Washington by Parson Wayne. That's correct. And, 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 and so he, he was founded in, you know, what was good about George Washington and, mm-hmm. and, and probably wanted to emulate that, but understood that his upbringing was so much different he probably couldn't. But given the same situations that, that President Washington had, I think he knew what to do for the good of the country because of what the founders allowed us to have through the Constitution. Yes. And he kept the Constitution together at its most crucial time. One thing I found interesting is I was I was researching even more heavily in the life of Lincoln, because I've over the years done a lot of research, is that his first president, uh, his first vice president, Hannibal Hamelin, was actually much more in tune with Lincoln. But Lincoln got kind of angry with him and fires him and then hires Johnson for a second term. Mm. And it makes you wonder, had he not done that, what would Hamlin have done? Would there have been the massive, which we'll get to next week, the massive scandal of Johnson, impeachment, and all the junk that goes along with Johnson. Um, Had he kept Hamlin, what would that have looked like? And Hamlin's an interesting guy. He's from Maine, and um, he actually was part of the, the reservist I guess you can use the term Coast Guard because it was like a it was like a, a, a naval right. It's kind of a Coast Guard. So as he's vice president, his unit gets called up, and now obviously he doesn't have to go as vice president, but he goes anyway, and he serves a tour as a cook aboard a ship as, as the vice, vice president? president. I had no idea. And some historians <laughs> believe that's kind of what ticked Lincoln off is that he left the White House, so uh, he actually lets him go, and then he hires in Andrew Johnson on the second ticket. Wow. Mm. Was that a good move or not? I don't know. I, I don't know. Lincoln, for all of his good points, could be hard to work with. He I had a revolving yeah. door of generals, yeah. but then he had that very special friendship with Grant. And uh, it was said they were kind of like Mutt and Jeff. Here's Lincoln, like 6'6", six, 6'4", six, six, and then Grant's barely 5'8". Yeah. Uh, but Grant was a fierce warrior. Nobody yeah. wanted him. Oh, I agree. And, you know, there's that famous quote where they, they accuse some of his colleagues, accuse him of being a drunkard. <laughs> And Lincoln says, "Go find out what he's drinking and send a barrel of it to all my other generals. At least, at least Grant is winning. Yes, you know, and yes. it's just again, um, yes, captures the moment and and uh, just doesn't give up. No, which is amazing. No, man of faith, man of conviction, man of humility. But as you said, he had that fortitude. Yeah, we think about like adjectives to describe presidents. And uh, Washington was a man of gravitas. Uh, Lincoln was a man of fortitude." He didn't let go of something. And as you said, that's one thing we've got to breed in the next generation are people of fortitude. We can't quit. you got to keep going. No, adversity is going to find you no matter what you do. And it's good for you. It's absolutely good for you. It shapes you. Yes. And and we need to be there to mentor them to make sure they get through it. Agreed. So this this was a hard one to wrap up. I feel like we could do three more. You could do so much on this. Because I'm just looking through and I'm like, we left so much out. So, But maybe this will um, inspire our listeners to go read some on, on Lincoln. Uh, one Absolutely. of my one of my all time favorite. Now next week we 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 do Andrew Johnson. I mean, yeah, that should probably be a quick one. All right. Well, we can talk about impeachment a lot for yes, some impeachment process. Yes, yes. And what that looks like. And, and that was a close one, very close by one vote. Yep. One vote was all, and there was some backroom politics yes. to keep that one vote from keeping him out. Mm-hmm. So uh, that and then after that, then we get Grant. So there's. There's light in the tunnel. Oh, I look forward to Grant. Me too. Yeah. What, a, what, a, what a fun one. So this has been the life of Abraham Lincoln. Thank you so much. Thank you.